This program is brought to you by Pussy Magnets. Put a binge on your friends with a Pussy Magnet. Oh, hey! Welcome, 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 my lovely lumps. Or should I say lovely labs? I don't know, they're both good. <laughs> I'm so thrilled to have you here in the Labia Lounge to yarn about all things sexuality, womanhood, holistic health, and everything in between. Your legs. <laughs> oh, cringe. I couldn't help myself. Anyway, I am your host, Freya Graff, and I am a holistic sex coach and educator and yoni mapping therapist. So basically, I make my living massaging vaginas and teaching people about sex. Yeah, pretty cool. (laughs) So as you can imagine, we are going to have vag loads of real chats with real people about real shit. So buckle up, you're about to receive the sex ed that you'd never had and have a bloody good laugh while you're at it. Before we get stuck in, though, I would like to respectfully acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land on which I'm recording this podcast, the Manang people. It's an absolute privilege to be living and creating dope podcast content on Noongar country, and I pay respect to their elders past, present, and emerging. Now, if y'all are ready, let's flap and do this. Oh, is there such thing as having too many vagina jokes in the one intro? Whatever. I'm leaving it in. It's my podcast. Don't panic, you're not broken. Your sex education was a piece of shit. Get your flaps out and pull up the couch. It's the Labia Lounge. Hey, my Labia loves. Welcome back to what is going to be a truly fascinating episode today with Maggie Bowden aka the narcissist nab on Instagram. Now, Margie only launched her Instagram account educating about narcissism in 2021. And when she began sharing her personal journey and insights there a little bit later, her followers increased by 50,000 in a month. So, This is obviously a topic that is much needed and that people want to hear about. And I've been badgering Margie for months to come on the potty because I so badly wanted to chat with her and discuss this silent killer, narcissistic abuse. So as a highly qualified teacher, professional life coach and counsellor, Margie is also a survivor of 40 years of enduring narcissism in her own life and is now a fierce and knowledgeable advocate for those suffering from narcissistic abuse in relationships. So I'm really thrilled to have you in the lounge. Pull up a cushion and welcome. I'm so thrilled to have you here, Margie. Thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure. My pleasure. So I will just warn everyone, I'm at the tail end of COVID, so my voice might sound a little bit a bit snotty and I might be muting myself every now and then to have a bit of a coughing fit. So uh, ex- excuse the nasally voice. But uh, I'm 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 really excited to just launch in and I I know, Marky, you say that there are always so many red flags, but without the language or correct vocabulary to articulate it or an understanding of narcissistic personality traits, it's like quicksand. 
it's it's like a slow death of self. So I'm keen to chat about how to recognize the red flags and how to advocate for yourself if you're in a relationship with a narcissist. Um, and I know one of the first red flags is around sex and intimacy because mm. we've spoken about that Um Mm. on a chat that we've already had. So I'm really interested in that. But first, I'd love to just cover a few basics before we get stuck into that nitty gritty. So can you tell us what what is a narcissist? What is, what's the technical definition mm. or diagnosis mm. yeah. of a narcissist? Well, look, the interesting thing about narcissism is that there actually isn't an agreed definition. While there's the definition from the DSM-5, which is the diagnostic manual that, that the medical profession use, there's still a lot of disagreement about exactly what is it. And so, so that, that creates in itself a, a real difficulty for people because when people say narcissism, you know, people automatically think of the grandiose narcissist who, you know, I, I love myself and I'm, you know, I step on people and, and I value, you know, money and power. But, you know, in actual fact, um, narcissism is such a, a very, very broad term. And, and for so many clients, I say, look, does, does it actually matter if they're a narcissist? They're, they're displaying all these personality traits that are very toxic. So I'll, I'll just quickly talk about the, the nine traits that the DSM-5 uses just for a starter. So there's the number one, and to be diagnosed with um, NPD, narcissistic personality disorder, um, supposedly you need to have at least five or more of these traits. So those traits are a grandiose sense of self-importance, um, preoccupied, number two is, you know, being preoccupied with, you know, unlimited fantasies about power, brilliance, beauty, ideal love. Um, the next one is that they believe that they're special and unique and can really only be understood by other people who are special and unique. Um, number four is that they require excessive admiration. Um, the next one is that they have a sense of entitlement, that their needs their needs are more important than anybody else's and they should be met. They're interpersonally exploitative. The big, big one that I think we'll talk more about today is their lack of empathy. And finally, um, the, the eighth one is that they're envious of others and they think people are envious of them. And then finally, that they show arrogant or haughty behaviours. Now that that's that's the, the the very that that's sort of the list that people look at, and the difficulty is it's really confusing because you you may be with a partner who who is who does have narcissistic personality personality traits, but you look at that list and it doesn't really give you a whole lot of information to. But what does that look like in my life? So, you know, I, I could have read that list many years ago and said, yeah, no, that's, yeah, no, I'm, that's not what I'm dealing with. Um, but it, it's, it's how those traits then manifest in, in someone's life. And I think that's where the DSM-5 comes a little bit under attack, that it's, you know, so what does that lack of empathy look like? In situations and what situations does it then create 
such toxicity, just someone lacking empathy. Oh, totally. And I think that's that's the really tricky bit is like it's not black and white. It's not as simple as, oh, they're a narcissist and they're just a terrible person and it's really obvious. It's, you know, like I have mm. a – this is a bit personal, I guess, but I have a parent who my siblings and I and, and um, yeah, my mum – have are pretty convinced that my dad's a narcissist and or at least has very narcissistic mm. tendencies mm. and it's never been as simple as just figuring that out and going oh sweet let's just cut him out it's he's a bad not. person he, it's it's not good for us to have him in our life it's very toxic and so mm. that's that you know it's mm. really confusing what when you love someone who has these tendencies or these traits because, you know, they might act like they love you. They might have actually done a lot of really wonderful things for you. They might be really charismatic. They might be really um, intelligent and there are good times and there are good memories. But, you know, that doesn't negate the fact that they're still – really toxic and really hurting you to have them in your life. So I think that real kind of gray area, that that confusing nature of the narcissist, of having someone in your life that is narcissistic, oh, it's just it's a drainer. It's so draining. And and it's always been confusing for us because we're like, well, is it is it um do you label them a full-blown narcissist or are there varying levels of this? Like can you be sort of displaying narcissistic traits but you're not necessarily like a full-blown clinical narcissist, you know, like is there – so it's really hard to classify them and then and then hard to know how to handle it and, and what to do about it um, in my experience. That's interesting that, that you mentioned that because – you know, they do have good traits and that's that's the thing. Narcissists have some really great traits. That, that They're nice and in actual fact when they initially hook us in, you know, they love bombers and they you know, idolise us and we are hooked. Like we are told we, we get some really great treatment and for so many survivors that belief that there is good in them and, and they've all, all also got a sob story or a, you know, a victim story. The empathic or compassionate or tolerant or forgiving human wants to fix them and wants to say, well, I can love you. If I love you enough, then you might change. And for a narcissist, you know, that's a bit of a myth because they're very disorder. And we can talk more about that. Really, um, means that they're never going to accept accountability or responsibility for anything that they did wrong. So they've got nothing to change. And so, for so many survivors, they say, "But but there's good in them. I remember the good. So I'll, I'll stick at it. You know, they're not all bad." Meanwhile, your life is being destroyed. Your, your complete identity is being destroyed. But you can't quite believe that anyone would really do this on purpose, would they? And so, you know, we're in, we then step into, you know, an abuse cycle 
where they they initially shower us with love and they're beautiful and they're wonderful and you're you're my soulmate. I've never met anybody like you. All my exes were crazy, but not you. And we, everybody wants to be loved. We, we think, wow, this person thinks I'm really special. And so once we're, we're, we're locked in, the narcissist then begins to slowly, oh, so slowly devalue us. And, and, you know, if we're talking about what are the red flags that, that, that people overlook, these, th- at this stage, we overlook those red flags. And we say, but, but they, they were, they are nice. And I am their soulmate and I am different. They've told me this. So I'm going to excuse the fact that they just didn't show up. I'm going to excuse the fact that he accidentally slept with an ex, but he didn't mean it. He does love me. I'm special. And we, we just overlook and, and it, we sort of cancel out those red flags. Because we've been so love bombed. Oh God, it's just devastating. It's so heartbreaking. And I know you would get this question all the fucking time. I'm sure. But is there any getting through to them or changing them? Like I know a lot of women who are in a relationship with a person like this might, of course, hold on to the hope that they can help them change or that there is still the potential for this person Mm. to learn to be more loving and empathetic and less toxic or that maybe if they went to therapy enough, you know, that it would help get through to them and change things for the better. But is this just a misguided, fruitless mm. thing to hope for? Like is it possible for them to change and is there hope um, or is no amount of therapy going to make a difference, you know? Hey, babe towns. So sorry to interrupt, but I simply had to pop my head into the lounge here and mention another virtual lounge that you've seriously got to get around. It's the Labia Lounge Facebook group that I've created for listeners of the potty to mingle in. And there you'll find extra bits and bobs like freebies or discounts for offerings from guests who've been interviewed on the podcast, inspiring and valuable content, thought-provoking conversations, and just general support from a community of labial legends. It's a safe, non-judgmental space where you can go to ask the questions that you can't ask anywhere else, seek advice or solidarity from other like-minded folk, tell stories that are usually too much for the average conversation, and also play a role in shaping the podcast with your input. So head over to the link in the show notes or just search up the Labia Lounge group on the old facey and I hope I see you in there. And now, back to the episode. Well, look, it's interesting because I was I – was doing some reading the other day because this is a question that keeps people in the abuse cycle, the belief that they can change. And I imagine that, you know, every person that's been in a narcissistic relationship has Googled, has bought self-help books, has gone to therapy because that, that they feel they know that intuitively in their gut there's something that's not right, there's something that's not right. And so, you know, who wouldn't want to Google, can a narcissist change? And personally, I, I think if you can find things online that, that says yes, then um, perhaps 
you know, psychologists like to promote the fact that everybody is everybody that, you know, there's redemption for everybody. But, but the type of intensity and the counseling, um, and the cost and the dedication to a narcissist putting themselves into relentless therapy, it, it, it will make them aware of, of their behavior. Will it change them? No. It, it will never change them. C- can they stop and manage how they talk to people? Maybe. But I think if, if, if you're hanging on to the fact that a narcissist can change, I think it's a myth. The irony is that narcissists do need people that are deeply empathic, that are rescuers, that, that are kind, that, that want to believe, that are forgiving. They need a partner like that. Like hell, how, how would anybody else tolerate that? Mm, yeah. Well, that leads me to my next question, which is, do narcissists sort of seek out and choose specific people and partners? Like, do they, are they more attracted to people who they think they can manipulate more easily? Do they choose a specific kind of person because it suits their needs? Like, 100%. Are they being really calculated 100%. about the people that they go for? So, so if, if you think a narcissist, you know, one of the, the things with the disorder is that they, it, it's their capacity to sustain relationships, interpersonal relationships, intrapersonal relationships, that is what they can't do. And so if you're going to to look for, you know, narcissists need people to fill a void in them in themselves. So they they look for people kind of like objects because a narcissist is interested in promoting self and looking after self. And they need control. They, they, they crave control. They must stay in, t- in control. And there's, look, a lot of reasons why, but I, I, I don't think that's actually, it, it's more, I think this situation is more f- for survivors to understand, you know, what, what is actually happening. And so the narcissist needs a partner who is, is deeply compassionate, who is forgiving, who is conscientious, who is sensitive, who is deeply empathic. Who else could tolerate the abuse and forgive the abuse? So if a narcissist is going to find a partner to get their supply, and the na- every narcissist needs a different type of supply. So, you know, a, a narcissist might need somewhere to live. They might need money. They might need sex. Um, they might need you know, a sporting buddy, you know, they might need a promotion. So they they look for people to provide them their supply. And that's what you are. You know, narcissist kids, a supply. How can I use and manipulate this person to get what I need? And that's not how normal people, whatever normal people are, (laughs) that's kind of not how we approach life. And that's why it's really difficult for survivors. You know, I, I hear survivors say all the time, how could they? Yeah, no, we, we just can't, can't quite understand that, can we? We can't quite get it. We can't accept that this is how someone operates. It's not, it, it's just not 
something that we can wrap our heads around. So how do they get like this? What's the deal? Like, are they born Mm. with it? Mm. Are they traumatized as children? Like, is it something from childhood? Like, how does someone wind up a narcissist? Yeah. So here's the next, here's the next thing about narcissism is that, you know, is there clear research? I mean, people have been talking, talking about it and, you know, since the late 1880s and writing about it and, researching it and documenting it do that is there any one agreed upon cause or um reason you know what what had it you know like people worry oh my god but there's you know currently you know what 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 can be accepted is that it seems to be something that's done in childhood now, obviously, it's layered. There's a lot of different things that come into it. Like, you know, we're all born with personalities. How come there can be five kids and only one child shows those narcissistic traits? So, you know, th- there's there's a belief that there's, you know, three, if I talk about childhood, you know, that's when our personality develops. Th- there's sort of this abuse, neglect, um, under under evaluation of a child you know that that they they experience a parent who is very harsh who can't give them the love and the nurturing as a child so that's that they say well you know that that's one thing that can contribute then there's um a parent who over evaluates the child who you know is, is the spoiled kid i guess who gets everything they want that they never, there's never anything that they do. They're never reprimanded. They're never challenged. Um, they're perfect. They're praised for their appearance and for their great marks, but not for, you know, their compassion or the, the, their, their good deeds. And so th- this is another thing. And of course, the narcissistic parent, if you've got a parent, um, who's narcissistic and you're copying their behaviors, then th- that's, that's something else that's been, you know, identified. Having said that, you can have a narcissistic parent and and, and show no signs of narcissism. You, you can actually show signs of, you know, abuse. You know, you've been abused by narcissistic parents. So it's once again, it, it's I think you go, well, why why aren't we talking about why isn't there more information. Why, why didn't I know this many, many years ago? It's because when you, you sit down and you actually look at the research, there's, it, there's layer upon layer upon layer of, well, what the hell? What, what causes it? You know, there's so many different schools of thought. But I think the one thing that, that, you know, most people can agree on that, it, hey, it's something that happens in childhood. It, it's got to do with parenting. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. Totally. Well, mm. parents out there, please don't create any more narcissists. <laughs> ah, yikes. Um, so I would love to get stuck into some, uh, I guess, how to look out for the red flags, how to advocate for yourself, what to do if you're in a narcissistic relationship, how to survive and get the fuck out of there and then how to recover Mm -hmm. and rebuild your identity and blah, blah, blah. But first, I'd love to do the segment Get Pregnant and Die. Don't have sex because you will get pregnant and die. Don't have sex in the missionary position. Don't have have sex standing up. 
just don't do it. Promise? So this is the uh, time to share with us a story of how your sex education might have failed you or any sort of anecdote or story around your sex ed and what you didn't learn enough about or what you would have loved to have learned more about. Um, God, where do I start? <laughs> um, I think one of the things with sex education is <laughs> – and I hopefully have made amends with, with my own three daughters, but, you know, it wasn't something as far as, you know, I, I got taught that there's sexual acts and there's parts of the body, but there was never a, a continued conversation in the home or there was never a parallel conversation that actually your head and your heart and, and all of you is involved here. That there's, there's, it's not just an act. Um, but, but you're a whole human being and there's feelings, there's, there's, it, it encompasses everything. Whereas, you know, it was very much for me, well, it's a sex act and there's, you know, as I said, and that's that your, your sex education stops there. Um, rather than, hey, this is really normal. You know, sex is not taboo. Everybody does it like, you know, well, if they want to. Um, and it's really cool to talk about it all the time. And I think if I if I'd sort of had that opportunity, I'd been able to throw out to my mum a little bit about what happened to me as a 18, 19, 20 something, you know, what continued to happen. I would have had a place, you know, um, to go, well, so maybe this isn't normal what's happening to me. Maybe my experience isn't normal because that, that conversation wasn't, it didn't take place normally, you know, like it's, it's, it's sex. We don't talk about sex. You know, it's sex happens behind closed doors. So, it, which it did in my, <laughs> growing up, you know, um, so, yeah, I just think of much more open and frank discussion about everything to do with sex. There's nothing off off limits. Let's talk about it. Because how else do 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 young people? Who do they ask if there's not if there's not an adult? I and mean, I'm not saying we're, you know I'm the wisest person in the world, but at least it's it's just another place where. You know, my kids can say, hey, is that normal? Hey, what do you reckon about that? Hey, she said that, he did that, and then discuss it. Oh, totally love that. I think like, you know, like you're saying, these sorts of things go on behind closed doors and and they're not being talked about openly enough and so therefore so much terrible behaviour and so much shit sex goes on because we're not aware that that's not normal that's not baseline you know like there's people putting up with atrocious behavior and gaslighting and um you know really poor treatment during sex or in inside a relationship because it all goes on behind closed doors and it's also hush hush and taboo as a topic of conversation that no one's talking about it and comparing notes and and sharing their experiences with their friends and then you know getting feedback that oh that's not 
very good. That shouldn't be happening. That's not normal. You know, I think if we were all comparing Mm. notes and talking about this sort of thing more, there would be a lot less space for that shadowy behavior, for shitty sex, for the narcissistic stuff going on in relationships and that really terrible treatment and manipulation because, you know, shining a light on these topics, having conversations with your friends, with your, you know, it's just like a game changer. And so I think it's actually like very, very dangerous, the fact that these topics are so uh, taboo and stigmatized because it actually disempowers us really, really badly and it leaves us vulnerable to being in situations Um and being uneducated and ignorant of things or naive um, of things that make us vulnerable to shitty treatment and manipulation by other people. So I totally hear you on that one. We need to be talking about it more and just, yeah, all of it. Okay, so hit us with some red flags. What are we looking out for? What are some telltale signs of a narcissist some you know some common red flags to look out for yeah yeah i think um because you know narcissists are manipulative and you know one of the the tools that they love to use is um start um god my god it's just gone it's gaslighting and this is when, you know, you're like the big one and I've forgotten it. Um, this is when you are ever so subtly, um, and, and this is, I mentioned the devaluation process. This is when the narcissist, suddenly you were God's gift to the human race and, and you were their answer to, you know, you were that girl. Um, and then, you know, once you believe them and you are that girl, that's this is when all this sort of the red flags start to not that the red flags aren't there from the start because the narcissist will will you know talk about marriage that they'll they're really full on from the start so much so that you think what what you ask me that you want to do that like it's it's it it's fast it's fast and you know f- for many young girls it's wow he's really into me isn't he? he 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 wants to marry me like we've known each other four weeks i must be really special so that that sort of fast stuff can happen initially but as 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 well as the the you know that those signs that he he doesn't actually get or she doesn't actually give us stuff and that is you know being late if I've heard it once, I've heard it, you know, 500 times that, you know, on those initial dates, the lack of respect that the narcissist has means that they'll be late. That That's a classic. There's no respect for your time. So respect is, is missing. So if you can, if you can think about, oh, I've just met this guy and your gut always tells you, you know, you're so, you're so whoa, you know, sort of euphoric at meeting Mister. So you think perfect. You override your gut, so he'll be late. He may he may want you to do things that you're not completely comfortable with. You know, they cross boundaries, whether it's sexual boundaries or you know we're going to go here. You're going to do that, and your gut says. Mm, not that comfortable, but but hey, I'm God's gift to him, and we're soulmates, so it must be okay. 
Um, so there, you know, and the gaslighting. So gaslighting is, you know, you said, you said you'd pick me up at 10 and your reality is denied. No, I didn't. I didn't say that. No, you must be mistaken. I said I'd pick you up over there. And so you're questioning yourself. You think, I'm pretty sure you said you'd pick me up outside this place. And, you know, the narcissist says, no, 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 you're wrong. Or, you know, they might say something to upset you or do something. And and when you ask them, you know, that, that didn't make me feel so good. There's straightaway invalidation. And often, you know, because that's 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 a narcissistic injury. Anybody questioning them, so they may actually, you may even get glimpses of their rage. You know, they they find it very difficult to manage their, you know, how they react, their reactions. So you may get, whoa, wasn't expecting that. Gee, I, I didn't think it was that big a deal. Um. So you do get, you do get, I just think, you know, in a, in a normal, and I use normal, you know, for want of a better word, but when it's right, when it's right in a relationship, it's right. And you don't, you know, it, it, it's peaceful. You're not questioning. Your gut's not churning. It's just right. Um, and with a narcissistic partner, you, you you very quickly become anxious. Did they really say that? I'm not really sure. Can I really trust trust them? Did I, 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 I'm, did I? So they plant these seeds of you doubting yourself, doubting self doubt because of they manipulate and gaslight, and, and then and erode your intuition. Well, well, basically, you know, people say with 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 being with a narcissist long-term, they basically erode your identity. Mm. You know, whether it's like I've got clients who are hugely creative, whether it's musical, whether it's in the fashion industry, whether it's, you know, in the academic industry, whatever, and the narcissist will slowly, slowly, slowly take away your capacity to flourish. People who, you know, I don't even play my instrument anymore. I used to perform. I used to, gosh, I, you know, I used to create. I was so creative. I used to create fashion. I used to, but I don't anymore because I've been told over and over again and invalidated over and over again, you know, stop doing that. Why are you doing that? You don't think you're any good at that, are you? That's crap. Don't know why you bother. Mm. God, it's just horrific, and I and I feel like they uh, they're really good at isolating you and cutting you off from any other opinions other than theirs. And basically, that's you know why it's so effective that erosion of your self worth, your sort of um, self esteem, your intuition, your belief in yourself, and your belief in your own thoughts and feelings like it's just completely gone because they're really good at cutting you off from from all of that and then making sure that their voice is the only voice that you're exposed to their voice is the only voice that you're hearing um because they're they're sort of cutting you off from your friends your support networks your family anyone that would basically 
get in the way of what they're trying to do, right? Yeah, yeah. So, so I can't, I can't tell you how many people I know who have been moved interstate, suburbs, countries, um, because the narcissist does like to separate you from your support. Even if you've got, you know, a close, a very, very close friend or, or a close family, you know, the narcissist will plant seeds of doubt. You know, so they'll tell you stories about the people who you re- rely on the most and you start questioning and doubting. A- and they'll do that, you know, like if, if the narcissist tries to crack onto a girlfriend and the girlfriend says, you know, I don't feel really comfortable about this, but, you know, your your partner was making eyes at me or texted me and you confront the narcissist, they will smear your friend and they will they will manipulate you to then thinking, oh, she's the bad one. She, she yeah, she's actually out to get me. She... <laughs> God, it's nightmare fuel, isn't it? Mm. Um, so I'm wondering about in the bedroom because I know we've spoken before and you've mentioned there are some pretty mm. big red flags that you start to see quite quickly in the bedroom and in sex. So maybe yeah. you could speak on those a little bit because I'm sure there'll be people that might hear you talk about it and go, oh. Yeah, okay, yeah. Yep. And and once again, getting back to, you know, me saying I just wish that sex had been positively discussed, um, I think um, people battle along with with things that are not normal in the bedroom. And, you know, I know different posts or reels that I've done about sex or intimacy. You know, I've had lots of women DM me and going, oh, my God, that was me too. Excuse this unseemly interruption, my darlings. I must ask a wee little favour of you. I'm shamelessly seeking reviews and five-star ratings for the potty because, as I'm sure you've noticed by now, it's pretty fab, and the more people who get to hear it, the more people it can help. Reviews and ratings make it more likely to get recognized by the algorithmic gods and suggested to other listeners to check out. Plus, they make me feel pretty good and appreciated as I continue to pour my heart and soul into creating this baby for you. Now, I promise I don't maz over them or anything like that. I mostly just read them out to Locke with a big grin on my face and he says something like, see, you're killing it. Proud of you, babe. And then I tuck it away for a rainy day when I'm filled with self-doubt and existential dread about being self-employed. So, you know, doing this really does make a difference and is an easy little act of support that you can take in just a minute or two by either going to Spotify and leaving five stars for the show or writing a written review and leaving five stars over on Apple Podcasts. Or if you're a real overachiever, you could do both. Well, now, that would be kind of crazy. Crazy awesome, obviously. Like, that would be super ideal. Would love that. If you're writing a review, though, just be sure to only use G-rated words because despite the fact that this is a podcast about sexuality and all that good stuff, the platforms censor words like sex and won't actually show your review. Lame. Anyway, 
oh, oh, you're going to do it right now while I wait? Oh, yeah. No, no. Awesome. Great. That's like, yeah, great idea. May as well just like quickly click that five-star button before we get on with it and, you know, forget or whatever. I mean, life just kind of gets in the way sometimes. So, I totally agree. It would be best to just do it now while we're talking about it, you know, while, while we're on the topic. Totally, totally, totally. Yep. Oh, Oh, I can feel those five-star reviews rolling in. Mm, fuck yeah. All right, all right. Well, thank you much, Lee. You're a total gem, and I'll let you get back to the episode now. Love ya. So because the narcissist, you know, I mentioned in, in the DSM-5, you know, they, the big, big thing about narcissists is they lack empathy. So they lack the capacity to feel what someone else is feeling. They they can intellectually or they ha- can have like a cognitive empathy where they observe, they use that very well, they know what how to act, but they don't feel for the other person. So, you know, if we assume or if we believe that intimacy, or sex and intimacy in a relationship grows because of empathy and communication, that's 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 really two really important ingredients for for you know a great sex life whatever that looks like the narcissist you know goes into um a relationship without empathy so what does that look like in the bedroom it means that they don't care what you like don't try and tell them what you like and don't try and tell them that you don't like something because that that communication door is shut so what does that look like long term? Well, I might have heard, you know, 1% of people saying, no, no, the narcissist performs in the bedroom. That's because that's valuable to them. But in most relationships, the majority of relationships, you will not have a great sex life with a narcissist. It's not going to happen. So and why doesn't it happen? Because they don't care what you like. They're like, Hello, it's normally not always, but you know, if you're going to have sex with another person, it kind of matters what the other person is, how the other person is feeling. And, and this is a really, a really big red flag because the narcissist, it, it's an act. Um, some, you know, I'll, I'll talk about narcissism and pornography in a minute, but you know, just the, just normal married couple, we get married. I hear over and over again the sex stopped on the wedding night or the wedding night was awful. It was terrible. It was, it was disgusting. You know, it, 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 feedback about the narcissist not giving a stuff. I don't care about what you're feeling as far as sex and intimacy because I don't have empathy. How can I care? <laughs> Why would I care? I don't care about anybody but myself. So this is, you know, there's lots of, lots of, especially not just young people, lots of people out there really battling with, with no intimacy in their lives and being told by the narcissist, you're frigid. It's your fault. You know, you don't want it. And, and the person going quietly insane thinking, I think I do. I think I actually would really love a meaningful sex life with someone. I think I actually would love that. But you're, you're gaslit and you're manipulated and told, no, you don't. I mean, I've, I've had 
women say, you know, it doesn't matter how I will dress up in my best lingerie and walk in front of the narcissist trying to, to, to get an interest and the narcissist yawns and falls asleep because that's not important to them at that time. So, the, you know, people go for years and years without sex in in a in an abusive relationship and i don't mean that the guy or the woman or the man or the the person is punching that person up every night it's a psychological coercive abuse and and you're going quietly insane because there's no empathy for you yeah wow and and you mentioned porn and narcissists watching a lot of porn and it did make me think like, oh my God, that's actually really frightening because so much porn is just like incredibly, incredibly over-sensationalized, very intense. There can be a lot of, um, a lot of, I guess, romanticizing, mm. no, I guess glorification mm. of mm. some pretty mm. gnarly, intense stuff yep. that it, it's not everyone's cup of tea. And so I've, I've heard from clients of stories where they've been with mm. someone who now I'm thinking, yeah, they definitely were a narcissist. We were suspecting, but I'm pretty sure they certainly were, um, where like they have had, you know, this person who watches a lot of porn and I would say has a porn addiction and has like tied them up, shoved a butt plug in, done all of these things to them and then just left the room and left them there for like hours, you know, just completely non-consensual, totally horrifying stuff. And it's sort of making me think, oh, my gosh, that is quite a scary thing to have in the hands of a narcissist. You know, if they're watching this really, really intense stuff on a screen and obviously becoming quite um, interested in the idea of like playing that out and and sort of replicating that, then, you know, someone with no empathy who has a porn addiction and is attracted to these really intense, probably uh, fetish or kink-based or power play-based sexual acts, like that's terrifying, you know? <laughs> well, well, it's no secret that narcissists watch a lot of porn and I'm not – being moral, you can, like, I'm not saying, you know, no one should watch porn. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not being moralistic at all. But narcissists tend to watch more porn based on literature and studies than heterosexual. In, in this, I'm talking about heterosexual relationships. They're big porn watchers. And if you think about why, why, why do they love porn so much? It's because, it's because porn requires no respect, instant gratification. It's all about performance and there's no connection to anybody. You don't have to connect to watch porn. You just have to watch it. They don't have to give. It's just on demand. And often the porn is degradation and that, well, if you don't have empathy, you don't care what you're watching. You're like, whoa, I'm getting off. This is great. But, you know, sometimes you might go, oh, no, oh, God, I can't watch that. That's But the narcissist, remember, doesn't have any empathy. So porn's great. Porn's really, really good. And And you do hear partners of narcissists say, you know, 
the, the porn is a really big problem for us. Now, if you have got a problem in a relationship, like, you know, you, you watch porn day and night and it really bothers me, the narcissist is not going to hear what you say and say, let's talk about that. What might that look like? How might they're going to gaslight you because they want what they want. I want to watch porn and you're not going to stop me and I don't actually care if it bothers you or not. So you will hear them say, well, if you had sex with me more, then I wouldn't have to watch porn. Well, if you were, you know, not, not so frigid, if you weren't so fat and ugly, I'd want to have sex with you. So once again, it becomes that there's no responsibility of the fact that, you know, I do watch way too much porn and, yeah, it is a bit of an addiction, it's a problem, what might we do about this, it, that they then put it onto you and manipulate you into thinking. So, so can you know, that, that identity that is destroyed, you've got someone who starts to think and they do, it's my problem. Really, I feel like the only thing I can do about it is tell people about it, tell people so that they know, you know, if you're experiencing this, maybe it's not you. Yeah, totally. Something that I found sort of a different situation because it was a parent figure rather than a partner, but I found it kind of infuriating and very confusing because, you know, he'd be a certain way at home to ask behind closed doors and then... If yeah. you tried to kind of tell your friends about it or anything like that, when they'd come and visit after school, you know, he'd just be so lovely and charming and, and yes. sort of humorous. And they'd be like, oh, your dad's not that bad. Yes. I don't know what yes. you're talking about. And so, you know, like – I just think it's awesome that there's an account like yours and no wonder you jumped up 50,000 followers so quickly and no wonder people are so loyal and engaged in your online community because people are just like, oh, thank fuck, someone is validating my experience. Someone is talking about this thing that I thought was just me, you know, like I think it's really, really powerful and so important that you're getting the word out about this sort of thing because I think it's more common than than people realise. Um, I guess because, you know, everyone, I guess survivors of narcissistic abuse, whether it's you're out or you're still in that abusive relationship, you're very isolated and alone because all of this abuse happens behind closed doors. The narcissist, you know, you might hear people say the narcissist, narcissist wears a mask and do they know that they're being like this? Well, if they did know, if they were oblivious, they'd be like this all the time to the neighbours, to the family, to, to friends. They'd be like that all the time, but they're not. They put on a face. Very, very charismatic, very lovable. They can be the pillars of the church. They can be raising money to, to save stray pets and and come home and close the door and begin their, their their abuse on removing your identity, which is what they do. I think master manipulators, I like master manipulators. I think that's a very, a very concise term. Yeah, I think that's very apt. It's almost it's almost hard to wrap your head around that they could that someone that a human could be so calculating 
and so manipulative. Like it's, <laughs> I guess, for someone who does have empathy, this guy, it's just like beyond belief. It's just like, what the fuck? How did, how? How are you like this? It's really, really horrifying. But anyway, I'd love to slot in the segment TMI. We love it. So I was wondering, Margie, if you have a TMI story for us that would usually be considered too much information or unfit for public consumption in just your average convo. Um. I, I, I'm going to share this one. Um, obviously, there was a time in my life when I um, was online dating. And interestingly enough, I think the, my first experience post-narcissist, and this is not uncommon, you attract another narcissist because you're very desensitized and you're, you tolerate, you tolerate stuff. And um, fresh out, fresh onto the, the dating scene, um, I look back now and I think textbook narcissist. Um, I met, you know, someone who was very attractive, uh, very into their physical appearance and body, which narcissists can be, not all, grandiose, not so much, but they can be. You know, so this is the difficulty with narcissism. People go, but mine's not like that. Well, they don't have to be. <laughs> but, but, you know, this is, these are just the traits. So, so this person, this gentleman was, um, you know, obsessed about their body. Um, you know, what didn't I see? You know, body, 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 me, me, me was late for the first date. Now, and, and I, and I overlooked it. I overlooked it because, hey, what did I know? You know, I hadn't dated for a million years. Late, um, was oh so charming and charismatic. And honestly, in that instant, in that, that, that first initial, you know, period of, of a couple of weeks, it was euphoric. But I realize now, um, that, the, the, the sexual performance and the things that I, I didn't actually go through with, but, um, I, the, the, the things that, that he was suggesting w- was then followed through by, um, gaslighting, telling me that I was, um, you know, why don't we go to a sex club and I'll watch you with multiple partners? And when I said, oh, that wouldn't be something I'd be actually interested in doing, I was then told that, yeah, that that was really prudish and, you, you know, you've got to get with get up with things. And so you do, you question, think, oh, maybe, maybe, I, you know, like how about you get on Tinder and get some other guy around and I'll hide in the bedroom and watch. Oh, my God, a few weeks in and that's what he's proposing. And I bet he probably made you feel like you were the weird one for not being down with it and being approved, you know, like they have no respect for boundaries. I can remember saying that is that is not something that I think is actually, um, you know, I, I couldn't do that as a human being, do that to another person. 
And once again, the massive gaslighting, like, what are you talking Yeah, You know, you're such a prude. Like, oh, my God, you know. This is what's, this is what other people, like, everybody does this. And you hear that a lot from women who's, you know, like if their husband continually cheats, um, and I hear this from women in other countries a lot, um, the husband says, but all men do that. All men watch porn. All men cheat. The gaslighting. And, and you start to doubt your reality. And so that, that was a whirlwind couple, couple of months where I'm glad, I'm glad it happened. Um, there were a lot of things that were suggest. I mean, you know, just the, 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 the sex write-off was pretty wild and crazy. But then what, what, you know, it, I realized this is, this is a performance. This guy's into performance. There's no, there's nothing about me in here. It's just look at me perform. Uh, and so interesting and obviously heartbreaking that, you know, that was your first experience back out in the dating world. You know, they've already kind of like the last one had already sort of softened yes, you up and, yeah. and sort of prepared yeah. you to be more vulnerable to the next one. Yes. In- invalidation feels perfectly normal because that's, that's your diet when you've got a narcissistic partner being invalidated. And, and, you know, you have that over and over and over again. When someone invalidates you, you're not going to straight, straight away response and say that's bullshit. You're going to go, well, let me think about that, am I? Yeah, totally, totally. Okay, so I, I want to talk about some solutions uh, here because – I know you work with uh, survivors of narcissistic relationships that have already gotten out and are kind of on the other side and also people who are still in the grips of a narcissistic relationship and I know how just so incredibly hard it can be to extricate yourself from a situation like that that is, you know, with a master manipulator, as you've said, and I'd imagine that they're very good at saying all the right things, at roping you back in, at getting you to stay when you're attempting to leave. So, I kind of feel like it's probably common for the breakup to take a few run-ups, you know, not to just be one easy, clean break. Um and so I'd love to know some of the stuff that you uh, help women with and how to, how do we actually go about getting the fuck out of these relationships? I think that's, I think that's a really good question. You, know, you, you said that people don't normally just walk away um, and, yes, it takes, you know, weeks, years, months, even decades is acceptable. <laughs> but but um, I guess... The, the the abuse cycle is what keeps us hooked. And the abuse cycle uses, um, this isn't actually probably answering your question as how do we get people out, but I think, you know, um, it's helpful in understanding the psychology of what is used in that with narcissists to, to really understand. So that's what's happening. So if you've got a friend you, you can understand from, you know, the, the sort of behavioral and, and psychological level, this is what's happening to them. And so narcissists, you know, there is, there is an abuse cycle. 
where they, you know, initially love bomb. You know, you're, you're euphoric, you're amazing. I've never met a woman or a man like you. Everything is, you know, you think, is this for real? This is too good to be true. Well, if it's too good to be true, it probably is. And then, then there's that slow devaluation. And then they discard you, whether they discard you and they're gone or whether they discard you and you're in the relationship and they just find things that are much more interesting to do while you're in the relationship. Um, so that's the abuse cycle. But the very, very powerful thing that they use is something called intermittent reinforcement. And intermittent reinforcement is the same psychology that, you know, the, the casinos use. And that is, you know, it, it, people who go back to the casinos and you think, you know, you, you've, you've just lost two grand today. Like, are you kidding me? What, you know, why, why would you do that? And they say, because last year I won five grand. And, and it's, it's, I mean, intermittent reinforcement, you know, the studies was done with rats, lab rats, and the lab rats were pushing a little lever and getting food. But the scientists, behavioural scientists that were studying them found that they got a far greater excitement from the rats if the rats pushed a lever and sometimes they got food, but sometimes they didn't. And so the rats went crazy because they never knew when food was coming. It, it drove them crazy, and it's exactly the same with the narcissist. We crave them being nice, and we know that they've been really nice. So when they treat us really badly, we crazily go in and try and get more of the good. We go back. I, I just I know they can be good. I know that they were really nice once, so we go back. And, you know, when we get that hit of them being nice, you know, like it's, it's the dopamine, it's the, we, we get a high, it's like heroin. Like we get like, not that I've done heroin, but you know, that, that's, that's <laughs> what the literature says that, that high from a narcissist is a high. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. It's, it's addictive. And when you've been, uh, deprived of it, like when they've withheld that from you, if, of course, you just want it even more. Like it's and it's sort of often more, most meaningful coming from them because they're the ones that have withheld it, and therefore it means so much more to receive that thing that you're craving, because you know they've basically created a situation in your mind where their love or their validation means something about your worth and that's the sort of balm to soothe your wounds and insecurities. You know, they've set up this structure where their opinion, their treatment of you, that means something about you, you know, in your mind. And it's it's just, oh, Ugh. anyway. So I, I want to know what about if someone has gotten out of the this this kind of relationship they've obviously suffered a lot of damage a lot of trauma from it how can we begin to build our confidence and self-worth back up like how can we remember how to listen to our intuition again mm. and learn healthy boundaries mm. what are some ways to begin rebuilding ourselves and our lives you know like i know that this is something that women come to you for help with and I would love to hear about where you start when you are working mm. with someone how do you help them reclaim 
their sovereignty and their sense of identity and their their self-worth after being in a relationship that has done so much damage and that they may yeah. have been in for decades, you know, like it's yeah. a big task. Yeah, yeah. So the, the, the first thing that survivors don't know when they, they have been in that sort of relationship is, you know, if I ask clients, well, well, who are you, they can never tell me. They don't even know who they are anymore. So, you know, I, I kind of work in roughly a, a three-part stage and that is to, to, to find out, well, well, who are you and what, what are your current beliefs that you hold about yourself? Because, you know, we are very broken when we leave that relationship and it's really important probably to start right there. And to say, so, you, you know, what are, because, you know, our beliefs that are all stored in our subconscious brain actually control 95% of what we do. And those beliefs, most of them come from childhood. So, you know, it's, it's worth spending time. Look at, well, it certainly was, I know for me and for many clients to sort of dig around and say, so, you know, I, I believe that, you know, I, I actually have to please people to be liked. I believe that, you know, if I don't make people laugh, they won't like me. I believe that people, um, uh, you know, will walk away from me. I Like that we, we've got all these beliefs. So, you know, when we were kids, our subconscious brain stores memories and it's not, it's not, a, it's not a process whereby you have a memory when you're six and then it's analysed, it's critiqued, and then it's stored neatly as a memory. You just remember. And so a lot of those memories and subconscious beliefs that the narcissist then preys on and, and lies to us and tells us, you are this sort of person. You know, everybody hates you. Everybody fights with you. Everybody. And, and so if you've got a little, a little belief about yourself that says, well, maybe I am, which we all have. Maybe I am that person. Maybe I, maybe I do ask too much. You know, maybe I, maybe I do just because, you know, if ever you try and resolve conflict with a narcissist, you're going to get more conflict and which is very distressing because all you actually want to do is resolve it, which they don't. You will then be told, well, you're just, you just argue with everyone. Now, maybe you were, you know, a kid who was outspoken or maybe, you know, you were the middle child and you did, you know, like me, you did, you did like to, to speak your mind. But in the hands of a narcissist, that's twisted. And so, you know, I've, you know, you've got these, these unhelpful beliefs that then we talk to ourselves, you know, and we, we reinforce these beliefs. So the first step is really saying, well, who the hell am I? What do I believe about myself right now? Because it's not helping me. They're beliefs that are actually holding me in a toxic relationship. And so the next step is then, which people, you know, survivors, we just don't realise that we can actually be anyone we want to be. So it's that process of saying, well, who do you want to be? What do you want your life to look like? Because we've learned to, we've learned to, to, we've been invalidated. We've learned to tolerate and we've learned to shut down anything that we want. 
in order to stay in that relationship of intermittent reinforcement and stonewalling and projection and triangulation and um, passive-aggressive behaviour and verbal abuse, we've learnt that we have to be a certain way. And so once you're out of there, not even once you're out of there, but it's, it's a process of saying, you know, what do you want your life to be like? And it's this, oh, my God, you mean I can have different things? Yeah, you can have whatever you want in life. So it's a process of then establishing what do you want for the first time in months, years, decades, what do you want your life to be like without the controlling other? And that it's, you know, I'm not sounding, I, I don't want to downplay things, but it's pretty damn exciting to be free and to say, you mean I'm a, I'm allowed? To, you mean I'm allowed to have a say in what I want? Yeah, you are. You, you're actually in control. You're driving the boat now, and that is a really, really critical time because we don't know we're allowed to drive the boat. So I lost my license when I met the narc. <laughs> he took it from me. Told me I was a bad driver, so I didn't drive again. You know, that's kind of what happens so it's really stepping into you know and of course the really really important thing I think in healing from abuse is is having a deep understanding about the narcissist and what narcissism is I think that's that's really 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 important you know whether you're co-parenting with someone you really you really have to know what you're dealing with like when you when you you're divorcing you know a narcissist they're going to act in a certain way. They've got tip. They've got tricks. Remember, they need to be in control always. If that means I'm going to take the kids from you, I don't actually remember their their their, their names, but I'm going to control the situation. I'm going to have the kids. Why? Because you want them. You know, they, they they act and behave in very predictable ways. They're very predictable. And so if you want that power in healing, you got to know what you're dealing with to navigate your way through because they, they cross boundaries. They don't respect you. And, and boundaries is a really big part of the abuse because I don't know that I've ever worked with a client that, that knows what a boundary is or knows how to set a boundary. We, 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 we go through life with abuse and we threaten if you if you don't stop doing that or if you do that again, but we never have a consequence. And so every time we threaten the narcissist, I swear if you do that again, and then and you're really just teaching the narcissist, yeah, what are you going to do about it? Nothing. So I'm going to give you more of it. And you wonder why why is this happening? You feel like you're going insane. I told him I didn't like that. I told him I didn't like it. Well, that's why you're getting more of it because you told him you didn't like it. Oh, I mean, so no wonder how sort of downtrodden and uh, lacking mm. in confidence, you know, these people become. Mm. Like the gaslighting is just, you know, it, it makes you feel like it must be you. Maybe you're just imagining it. Maybe it's not that bad. And also like 
why am I not being listened to? Like, why am I saying one thing and getting another? That's that's not how things usually work. Like, what's going on here, <laughs> you know? Um, and it would be easy to start to blame yourself and think like, oh, maybe I'm just too weak. Maybe I'm not assertive enough or maybe I'm not worth listening to. Like, maybe I'm um, so pathetic that, you know, people – can just walk all over me. Yeah, and in actual fact, I'm blown away by the quality and calibre and amazing qualities that my clients all have. Like they're seriously awesome people. And I think, you know, like it's there's we blame ourselves. Like, Yeah, they're not weak. Oh, God, no. The narcissist looks for quality. All those things that they don't have themselves, they need in somebody else to leech. And so, you know, you, you've got seriously, amazingly wonderful people um, and they've the narcissist is, oh, you look good to me and you've got this and this and this and this and you're compassionate and empathic and conscientious and hardworking. So, you know, let me entertain you. <laughs> And um, it's true. Yeah, survivors do blame themselves. You know, how could I have let this happen? Why did I let this happen? And it is, I just said they're predictable. You know, look, I've done a reel and I I, I just used, as I do something that, that happened to me personally and that was apparently I didn't know that there was a way to stack a dishwasher. And, you know, that, that I was told on, on a, you know, the fact that I was the one who st- stacked and unstacked the dishwasher didn't matter. But when I did go about stacking the dishwasher, I was told how stupid I was that I didn't know that there was a way to stack a dishwasher. Now, do you know how many survivors have have contacted me and said, I've lived that? <laughs> I know that. Stacking a bloody dishwasher. Who knew that you were so friggin' stupid that you didn't know? You hadn't read the book somewhere that's been published about there's one way to stack a dishwasher. Now, it sounds pathetic, but if you have a million of those little episodes in your life a day that you apparently, as a grown, as an adult, you didn't know how to do, you know, whether it's, you know, unstack or stack the dishwasher, how to cook mince meat or how to cook a piece of salmon or how to put a lid on top of something, that, that's what's stolen from you, your capacity. Like, didn't you, don't you know that you don't do it this way? Don't you know that you don't, you don't, don't you know that? And you think, oh, gee, I'm, like you're in, you're in your own home. There's no one around to say, Excuse me, there is no way to stack a dishwasher. <laughs> it's 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 relentless. You know, it's relentless. Hey, me again. If you'd like to support the potty and you've already given it five stars on whatever platform you're listening on, I want to mention that you can also buy some dope merch from my website and get yourself a labia lounge tote, tea, togs. Yep. You heard that right. I even have labia lounge babies or a cute fanny pack if that'd blow your hair back or 
If fashion isn't your passion, you can donate to my Buy Me A Coffee donation page, which I actually call Buy Me A Sweet Chai Latte, because I'll be the first to admit I'm a bit of a Melbourne cafe tosser like that. And yes, that is my coffee order. Um, so you can do a once-off donation or an ongoing membership and sponsor me for as little as three fat ones a month. Every bit helps, because it's not cheap to put out a sweet podcast into the world every week out of my own pocket. So I will be undyingly grateful if you support me financially in this way. And if you like, I'll even give you a mental BJ with my mind from the lounge itself, which is at this early stage in double L history, just the spare bedroom at my house. (laughs) Anyway, I'll pop the links in the show notes. Later. Yeah, as you're talking, I'm like, oh my God, I can relate to so much of this. It's, yeah, it's really infuriating. So I'm wondering if you have any, I guess, words or messages for, for people who, yeah, might, might have kind of come out the other side of this, this sort of relationship and their narcissistic partner is trying to get them back. Or, you know, if you're still in a relationship, um, and haven't managed to get out of it yet. Like, do you have any words to help bolster a woman's resolve if they're in this position and might be tempted to fall back into old patterns or give give the narcissist a second, third, tenth chance? Um, three words. They don't change. They don't change. We are. It is an addiction. It is. We are seeking those, those, the chemicals that make us feel high. It is an addiction. It, it, you think, why do I crave this person? Because that's what your brain, you, you know, we just want that next dopamine, you know, hit. We want to feel good again. We want some more of that. We haven't had it. Like he's been mean for a week. I want some more of that. But that's why, you know, you must understand the nature of narcissism. You must, you know, like if you can, no contact. It's like it's no different to an alcoholic. You know, the only way an alcoholic remains sober is to never have a bloody drink. And their life will be manageable and it'll be sweet and it'll be healthy and they'll be in recovery and and things will work out. But if you go back and you go just this weekend, it, it, I, I wanted, I want to go with my friends and I really just, I just want to taste red wine again. That's when everything turns to shit again. And it's no different to being in a, a narcissistic relationship. If you want to be free, you got to do the go cold turkey and go no contact. And it's, it's damn hard. Because your brain's going, oh, I want, you know, I, I just need a fix again. He was really, really, really nice. I remember when he did that or she, she was so kind and you go back and, and the cycle continues, the abuse cycle. You get hoovered back in. And you think, oh, this, this, this feels different this time. They've, they've told me, they've said, and, and, you know, narcissists, talk the talk, they just never walk the walk. Mm, yeah, and they, they will say everything like they can, it, all the right things. All the right things. Um, and I've, I've sort of supported friends through breakups with narcissists and it's absolutely the most frustrating, terrifying thing because they are incredibly good at 
railing them back in at saying all of the right things and it's it's frustrating being a friend supporting someone just going oh my god oh my god oh my god please hang on please hang on just just do not do not look at your phone block the number no you can't go get coffee with him to let him give your stuff back like that's just an opportunity he's going to have to have another go at you and to and to make you change your mind like it's really um it's really frightening how much power they have um so yeah gosh anyway so i'm wondering if and maybe this is naive maybe this is um you know i don't want to sound all toxic positivity up in here but is there a silver lining that we can focus on when coming out the other side of being in a narcissistic relationship like is it possible to see this as a catalyst for new growth and rebirth and you know a reinvention uh an opportunity for a fresh start you know i'd love to just know if you've found from your experience and from chatting with clients that there can be a silver lining or an opportunity in this for positive growth and change look i i 100 um percent believe that i think that you know in in recovering and finding that you you do have power to manage your own life and to go forward i've had client after client say number one it was cathartic to me when i understood what i was dealing with and it wasn't me and i could then see the behaviors and manage them and and then i see this incredible you know sort of growth of people being incredibly happy and and incredibly amazing like i'm i'm continually in awe of what what clients are able to do um once they once they're free and once once everything once they start to understand so this is what happened to me they dig deep and they go wow like i've 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 managed to survive and and live through this man i can do anything <laughs> like um yeah cuz it's a lot it's a lot and they they start to to sort of see those qualities that the narcissist shut down and take them back and say that that actually is something pretty awesome about me and 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 every survivor you know says i do remember when i was happy i haven't been happy for months years weeks decades but i do remember the old happy me so i don't think it's been <laughs> toxic positivity or anything i just think you know life you know once you know that you're in the driver's seat and you you get to to you know which we don't obviously when we're in an abuse situation and we're tolerating it but once you take back control anything's possible oh, well this has just been so eye-opening and so fascinating and i'm sure really really validating and uh, comforting for a lot of people listening to this because yeah I mean it just it sort of goes in line with my uh, theme of trying to make sure I put out episodes and content that reassure people they're not alone they're not broken there's nothing wrong with them um 
regardless of what they're experiencing. And I think something that is really vicious is, you know, this, this, uh, I guess, stigma and taboo, like I was saying before, creating an environment where we don't talk about stuff, we don't feel supported or as though there's other people experiencing what we're experiencing because no one's fucking talking about it. So, I really, I really want to honor you for getting the word out, talking about all of this stuff that usually happens behind closed doors and, and really like illuminating the fact that it's going on quite a lot. There's a lot of people that are experiencing this and you are now a resource. This episode is now a resource for those people so that they don't feel so isolated and so that they're not feeling alone and as though it's something wrong with them and that they're broken. So yeah, we've done we've done exactly what my jingle sets out to do. Um so really 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 thank you so much for that, Margie. My pleasure. My pleasure. I and if you, you know, as I said, if you if you look at my Instagram following, um I've got some very very dedicated um followers who share and support and you know, I guess one of the most powerful things is 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 for survivors to go. You know, we goddamn we're not alone, um, and, and there, there are other women who who are uh, sorry and men. I've got male clients. Um, you know, whether it's your narcissistic wife, husband, child, mother, father, boss, friend. Um, you know, there's so many people that are suffering because of these personality types and traits that are toxic. And so, yeah, you're most, you know, so, 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 so not alone. You know, if you're, if you're experiencing it, you can bet that, you can bet that <laughs> I hate to make a guess at how many other people, but no matter where you are in the world, there's other people who are going through exactly what you're going through. It's not you. It's not you. Exactly. See, you're not alone. You're not alone. Um, cool. So what are you working on at the moment? How can people work with you? You do one-on-one with clients. Have you got any programs or, yeah, to talk to us, talk to us. How can we engage with your work? I was going to say I've been – I have been plagued by um, people to – to give them more, 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 we want more. So I am, the teacher in me is working on um, basically a bru- blueprint of, you know, what, what what did I do? What what was really profoundly helpful for me to, to move into thriving? So it's a work in progress, but I am going to, you know, sort of um, release courses around you know the first one as i said is understanding narcissism having a deep and thorough understanding and now there's language that we can use you know like there's a whole repertoire there's so many words that you know like gaslighting is is one um that 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 people can say okay so you know walking on eggshells is a thing and there's such things as flying monkeys and, and grey rock. And so it's great. There's now a language that survivors can say, this is, this is how I was treated. But now I understand that they're running a smear campaign on me because that's what they do. So. Wow. I had not heard of 
most of that language. Um, so yeah, that's really amazing that that you're working on something like that and there is that language that people can learn about to help validate their experience. So how long until you think you'll be releasing that program? I hope in about two months. I'm I'm working day and night to sort of really put in exactly what I think, you know, this is what helped me and um, putting it together so that, you know, because where do you start? Like wh- who do you go and see? Like I saw a three psychiatrists and, and 12 psychologists, um, but nobody, <laughs> yeah, so it's really, really hard for survivors to go, well, well I want to heal. I want to start, but who, who can really help me? It's it's um it's a it's 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 really difficult to know. Yeah, of course. Like that that is sometimes one of the biggest barriers is like knowing where to go for help and who to ask for support, and there not being a whole lot available to you. So, thank God you exist, and yeah, I'd highly recommend checking out Margie's. Um, Instagram, all of the reels and content, so valuable, so relatable. If you, like most of us, at least have known a narcissist. Um, and, and yeah, I'll pop all the links in the show notes. Really appreciate your time and thank you so much for being here in the Labia Lounge and part of this, this thing I'm creating here, my dear. My pleasure. My pleasure. Thanks, Freya. Much love, everyone. Bye-bye. Bye. And that's it, darling hearts. Thank you for stopping by the Labia Lounge. Your bum groove in the couch will be right where you left it, just waiting for you to sink back in for some more double L action next time. And in the meantime, if you'd be a dear and subscribe, share this episode, or leave a review on iTunes, then you can pat yourself on the snatch because that, my dear, is a downright act of sex-positive feminist activism. And you'd be supporting my vision to educate, empower, demystify, and destigmatize with this here podcast. Also, I'm always open to feedback, topic ideas that you'd love to hear covered, or guest suggestions. So feel free to get in touch via my website at freyagraph.com or say hey over on Insta. My handle is Freya underscore graph underscore YMT and I seriously hope you're following me on there because damn, we have fun. We have fun. Anyway, later labial legends. I'll see you next time.